ready? <sighs> hey, everyone. Hey. Welcome back to another episode of THC True Hollywood Crime. I'm your host, Mariah. This is your host, Bailey. Hi. How's it going, B? Well, the capital. All <laughs> 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 right, coming off of an extreme heat wave in California. Like y'all would not believe. Insanity. It's been an average of like 115-ish. Yeah. And it's hottest when I get home. Yeah, late Like afternoon. late in the day. And mm-hmm. that's what's so deceptive is early morning, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Gorgeous. When I wake up at 5.45 in the morning, mm-hmm. it's 70. <laughs> yeah. Same with me. We wake up on, Lou wakes up at like 5. I wake up at like 6, 6.30. Yeah. And like we crack and the, we have amazing. the windows open. Yeah. And then come that late afternoon, you're like, it's how fucking hot? Yeah. And you know what's crazy is like we're known for being hot up here in NorCal. But like our hometown, which is in the East Bay, was like 118. Crazy. What? I know. I know. And then now we've got three fires around us. I know. So now it's smoky. Mm-hmm. And I can feel it. My eyes are dry. Yep. I'm emotional. I feel like I'm just going to blame it on the fires. For real. So it sucks, but it's like the smoke also hides the sun a little bit. <laughs> So it's kind of taking away a little bit of the heat. Well, know? we've talked about the campfire a few times here, which engulfed like all of Northern California in a huge blanket of smoke. And I remember like the day after the fire. Well, I think the fires were still going. You never saw the sun. Not only did you ever see the sun, it was the middle of the day, apocalyptic conditions. Yeah. It's like nighttime. And I remember I took a picture. It was like 29 degrees right. in the middle of the day. Right. Because it was there's freezing. no sun. Yeah. Which really like makes you think about like if an asteroid were to hit Earth, that's what happens, of right? Course. If an asteroid hits Earth and such a big dust cloud happens that that's we all freeze. Yeah. Anyways. So on that really happy note. <laughs> that's what mood we're in. Uh-huh. Welcome back, everybody. Cherry, happy summer. Cherry on top. You hit me with the news Friday about the Queen. Yeah. I'd had no idea that R. she was I. even too. ill or like I knew she was old, but I didn't know that she was like on. Her I don't way think out. anybody knew. A couple of days before she died, she did a queen thing. I thought so. She swore yeah. in the new so prime minister. It happened quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or they just hid it for a long time, mm-hmm. and then it was like we can't prop her up any longer. Mm-hmm. But you know, here's the, I have mixed feelings. So I am a bit of a. I do like to follow the royals. It's something I got from my mom, and I do think Queen Elizabeth for better or worse, was a badass bitch. 70 years. She served in World War II, bro. Insane. Active duty served in World War II. Yeah, that's a I do bitch. think she was badass. I do understand that she was the head of a really, like, antiquated colonizer regime that did a lot of damage to this earth. Uh, to my people, too. I'm half indigenous. I'm like, I say, fucking get yeah, it. And she has definitely said some stuff that was out of pocket. And she has done some stuff that is grimy. But, you know, I do get it. So I have mixed feelings there. I, I understand why a lot of the world was like celebrating. Like Ireland was going off. You know, a lot of colonized people were going off. To celebrate, but I get it. Yeah. Well, I guess for them, if they're if your oppressor dies, that's how they see it. Right. right? For sure. But, you know, I was a, a bit of a Queen Elizabeth fan and sad to see her go. I thought it was cute that, in respect, Daily Mail's website put everything in black. Because you said everyone was, like, dressed in black. And <sighs> Me and Daily Mail, just, I don't like it anymore because they don't like Meghan Markle at all. They're so racist. Oh. 
I don't read any of that stuff. I just read the celebrity stuff, I guess. No, I know. It just pops up <laughs> on my like for you page and my Facebook page and stuff. They always have like really inflammatory things to say about Meghan Markle. Really? And I'm a big Meghan Harry stan. Yeah. No, see, again, I don't follow any of that stuff. Yeah. But without Daily Mail, I wouldn't have known. Oh, my God. That the TikTok corn kid has been named South Dakota's new corn ambassador. Well, listen, yeah. <laughs> if there's something to celebrate, that's what it is. Have you seen the TikTok corn kid? Of course. I'm just making sure. Be. I mean, I know. He's the best. Come on. Oh, my God. How much time do you think I spent on that app? A shit ton. I know. All right. What else stupid fun news can we talk about? Um, the best thing that came out of the 2022 MTV Music Video Awards is um, Snoop Dogg and Eminem. I didn't see it. Was it good? Did you watch it? I did. Yeah. I know at some point Snoop had a giant joint. Oh, of course. Yeah. No, but I just like... It was such a throwback to RMTV. Right. It really felt like the VMAs. That, absolutely. It did. It, I felt like I was in high school again. Uh. Yeah, it was everything. Speaking about high school, high school football team in Illinois lets players' mothers tackle their son as a part of a bizarre presentation in a training drill. Can you imagine the opportunity to fucking drill your kid it would never work for me well not for you but yeah are we I, talking about my son high school mm-hmm. level he's gonna be the size of my husband oh, yeah no but some of these moms took their yeah. kid the fuck out no like, my son's gonna be living for it a fucking giant and he would have to like fake fall down for me so i don't embarrass myself that's funny <laughs> um not football related but i guess someone a couple got s- caught in a sex act at the Oakland A's game. I did see that. In like the past two weeks. Do you know how gross? Well, you know. Y'all don't understand how gross and grimy Oakland Stadium is. And they're is. in like the nosebleed. Oh, it's so gross. Mm-hmm. That shit hasn't been washed in a century. Yeah. Uh, how horny do you have to be? Like how well, much do you need to fuck somebody? How horny do you have to be to wear a pearl necklace made from semen? Because they're all the rage on TikTok. I got to be honest. I'd rather do that than fuck somebody in the middle of the A stadium. Stadium. I've been to the A stadium. I know know what it's like there. It was just voted on. um, Was it on TikTok? It was just voted like the the worst worst MLB stadium in the country. It needs a makeover. It's It's why my beloved Raiders moved to goddamn Las Vegas. For real, though. Uh, we're getting ready for spooky season. Our favorite time of the year. Well, apparently this man's excited too. He paddled 38 miles down the Missouri River in a hollowed out pumpkin. Wow. That's a big pumpkin, huh? <laughs> it is. Uh, it's amazing to me that he got a pumpkin that big this early yeah. in pumpkin yeah, season. Yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. Um, and then on the topic of pumpkins, we've got pumpkin Paul Pape in the family. Yes, is that his official name? For I'm um, it's all we've come up with. Yeah, that's Your what's sticking. Your twelve foot pumpkin headed mm-hmm. skeleton. Yeah, violet comes up to its knee. I come up to like right below butt cheek. He looks great in your yard and he looks like he fits in and it almost makes him seem smaller than he is. I agree. Because it makes him like when you just see it in the middle of somebody's like lawn, you're like, whoa, it's a big fucking skeleton. But bees like it. It's like, hidden in blends like blends in with your trees and stuff. I think it looks really cool. Mm-hmm. It's not until you like see something up against it. That yeah. You're, like, and you're like, whoa, that's uh-huh, big. Uh-huh. Um, my parents will be here tomorrow. It's their 
wedding anniversary and then it'll be my dad's birthday right what year and age fuck if i know so he was born 50 1950 yeah so 60 70 80 90 2000 10 20 he's 72 yeah that sounds right mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay mm-hmm. um and what what year did they get married the year he turned 30 so it's been 40 some odd years mm-hmm. yeah that sounds right too so nice. there you go my mom I wish I could picture your dad as 30. Is going to bring me her wedding dress. Uh, well, let's see if the years of dieting have paid off. Me. Well, no, to dress the skeleton oh, for the wedding theme. Okay. Right? I was telling you we're going to have Pumpkin Paul marry the five foot skeletons under the arch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So my mom's going to let me use her wedding dress. Yeah. That's sacred, sacred uh, garment. I was just laughing because I remember you looking at your mom's wedding dress years ago because no, your not. mom was already like a petite lady. She's oh, short. She was like, coked the fuck you're out. You're like, how did you yeah. fit this? What were you eating? Cocaine and yeah. Tic Tacs? Well, for- <laughs> That's the fucking diet we yes. were on. She's <laughs> just so tiny. Like we couldn't even get an arm in the sleeve. And you know, she was so fucking right. happy. She's like, look how skinny I am. <laughs> Oh, my Lord. Uh, And then I'm just curious. Did you hear anything about the... Okay, so let's just read the fucking title. Cops finally reevaluate suicide case of a 27-year-old Philadelphia teacher found by fiancé in apartment with 20 stab wounds. Uh, Oh, yeah. That sounds like suicide. Look at the picture. How do you stab yourself in the back of your spine and neck? And like, I know, no, I know there was a case like that a long time ago. I remember where they were trying to convince people that somebody had stabbed that's themselves bananas. in the back and in the chest. And it's like, that's fucking impossible, bro. Seriously. When you look at these pictures, it's absolutely insane. Think about how hard it would be to stab yourself for real. No. I don't even one time like in the heart to get the job done. But yeah, just st- let alone to go at an angle yeah. and stab yourself in the back of the head. Wild. No. No. So yeah, that's my fun news. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know what I've been doing besides Life. having a breakdown over the heat. Trying to survive. Um, I have been, I have a couple podcast wrecks. Mm. One is... Old Gods of Appalachia. This literally came to me via perfume. A perfume ad popped up on something and it was for a perfume called Blood and Bone. And I'm like, let's see what this is. Mm -hmm. And they said it was inspired by the podcast Old Gods of Appalachia. And they mentioned a lot of our favorite notes. Fiery, smoky. They said a a hint of gunpowder. And they had a bunch of other shit too, like pines and forest and flat. Like, you know, what do you think about when you think of Appalachia? And I was like, what is this fucking podcast? Because then all the reviews of the perfume were like, I love the perfume, but I love it. That's my favorite podcast. So I started listening to that. It is a good one. It's, um, they're basically storytelling. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is fun. They have all the background noises. They are from Appalachia. So they have those great accents. Mm -hmm. And they're basically it's I don't want to say like a horror podcast, but it's definitely like a spooky, scary podcast. So I was listening to that. And then I took a break from that because I found out again via TikTok. So all of the Game of Thrones lovers out there, we all watch Game of Thrones. right? Oh, yeah. How do you feel about the final season? 
yeah, it wasn't great. It wasn't great. I wasn't as upset as everybody else was. I wasn't upset. People I'd, were like enraged. No, I absolutely not. I'm like, I get it. But so, that wasn't what I wanted. And then when I heard recently that like George Martin was saying that he wanted to do at least another two to three seasons, the actors wanted to do that too. And yeah. the showrunners were the ones who were like, no, we're done. And so they like were really hasty in the, Absolutely. that's why stuff you could like, tell. Yeah. spoiler alert, if, if somebody out there hasn't seen Game of Thrones, but like Jon Snow's, um, like storyline goes nowhere. Like him being right. a Targaryen was for fucking nothing. Yeah. Like all this stuff goes nowhere. So anyways, I found out about a podcast. Game of Thrones season eight redo. It's a bunch of professional like voice actors and they've made a podcast for free. They don't make any profit off of it where they've rewritten the end of Game of Thrones. Whoa. And they act it out. And same thing where you have the like, it's immersive. Because you know me, I don't like audiobooks. No. This isn't an audiobook. This is them like acting it out. So okay. you like so far, I'm on episode four. So far, it's almost exactly like season eight. So I think the back half is where they're going to start rewriting things a lot. Mm-hmm. But it's like even the voice actors, like the woman who plays Sansa sounds exactly like Sansa. Okay. Jon Snow sounds a lot like Jon Snow. Um, so it's been great. I've been listening to that a lot. Fun. And you would think it would be a weird thing to listen to, but because I know Game of Thrones so well. You can picture it. I can picture it in my head yeah. when they're in the Great Hall of Winterfell, when they're on King's of Road, course. when they're doing all this stuff. I'm like, okay, I have a, a An vision idea. in my head. Mm-hmm. So that's what I've been listening to. How weird. Never would have thought. Mm-hmm. Look at you. And we took our four-year-old to her first movie for the first time. That was so cute that it fell on the same day. That you did the first movie with your eldest. Yeah, we didn't even realize that. So we took our four-year-old to their first ever movie in the movie theater. We went and saw um, DC Super Dogs. Something like that, yeah. It was really cute. It is. The Rock and Kevin Hart. I uh, mean, what do you need? It's mm-hmm. fun. It's it's a silly kids a movie. Cartoon. But she loved it. She was so excited. She got to eat lots of candy and popcorn. Mm-hmm. And she did really, really well. And then I went home to post it on Facebook and Instagram And I realized that it was like a year, like, no, I don't know how many years it was, but what was it, like nine years? Yeah. That we took my oldest to their first movie, which was Despicable Me 2. So cute. Which is so funny because we almost took Zoe to Minions. Oh, my I'm like, wouldn't that have been hilarious? Yeah, that would have been. But yeah, nine years later... To the day we took them to their first movie. Mm-hmm. So that's exciting for us. We're a big movie family. Heck yeah. No. And that both of our kids got to choose between the minions because that was our other option too. How long has it been in the movie theater for? A long time apparently because we went to the movie like a month ago, if not longer. Yeah. Plus we went on um, National Cinema Day. Mm. So it was only $3 a ticket. Love it. So they had some older movies there, too. Like, they were also gotcha. playing Jaws. I'm like, let's Ooh. take her to Jaws. It was like, oh, yeah, Jaws is the first movie. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that was Bailey's first movie. It absolutely was. Yeah. And Lou's like, yeah, look how she fucking turned out. And I'm like, yeah, well. <laughs> it absolutely I'm all, B saw Jaws at, like, five or whatever, For six. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, yeah, that's it. That's all. Yeah. Work's been a lot. <laughs> I won't lie. So my notes are going to be sloppy. I got the movie done in like two days and I haven't had any time to redo the notes or like go back and find yeah, my episode my numbers world. or anything like that. But we did it and we're here. 
We're here just and barely. That's all that matters. Mm-hmm. Mine's written in pencil, so I'm not going to be able to read mine. Right? You've got two different sources. You've got paper and <laughs> electronic. And on my phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mine's going to be a bit of a shit show. But hey, I'm the one who edits the podcast, so. Right. No, that's it. It's we, a me problem. We made it to the room, and it's going to happen. So let's. We are in the room again, enjoying the AC on this hot day i think i've gotten it down to 80 degrees in my house so a breezy 80 oh i know it's crazy we've got our ac going non-stop and even then it's still like trying it's struggling at 75 so we oh my god 75 what a fucking dream mm-hmm. no we turn ours off like late at night yeah like we because it takes until like 1 a.m. for it to get down to like 78. But that's the thing. It's then it has the opportunity to warm up and it has to start all over. I know, yeah. but I know that's true. Maybe we should leave it on. I feel like I'm giving it a break. I, I know. Believe me. Because then going we keep overtime. it off all day too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We keep it off. We keep it off in the morning. We keep it off while we're all at work and school. And like we didn't turn it on today until I think we started cooking dinner. But it was 85 in here. And that's just it. Yeah. You started it. It's like you need to start it a couple hours before you get home. I know. Have a head start. But then it feels like we're wasting power and energy. Y'all have solar. I don't. Oh, I'm trying no, to help the grid you. out. I feel you. I get it. But yeah. Even with the solar and keeping it on 24-7, it's struggling at 75. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fun times, y'all. <laughs> Listen, we're not going to complain because we could live in a world where we don't have AC. Oh, we could live in a place on this world where we're not so fortunate. All right. That's in our first world problems. So but yes. cheers to this. Cheers. Are we really cheersing? Yeah. Cheers. And let's go over our rules and let's dive into this bitch. THC drinking rules. If you're new around here, whatever you're drinking, take a sip or a drink. If you're smoking something, take a hit. Mm-mm. Anytime you hear us reference an old THC episode, mention a badass big sister, mention an episode of the USA Network hit TV show Monk. Um, if we cheers, if we spill, or if we're there's no not in yeah, the pod shed, so that's on it. A mod podge, yeah, mm-hmm. we'll figure that one out. Yeah, we'll get there. Oh, you know what I was thinking about was um. <laughs> How they make remakes of everything like they're they did a remake of quantum leap and it's coming out and i was like quantum leap is that really something we needed in our lives i know well i grew up on quantum leap i love me some quantum leap but i'm like it's been so old is even a remake anymore like these kids aren't gonna know what fucking quantum leap is and i told lou i'm like if they dare to try to make a remake of monk i'm gonna burn down hollywood amen to the fucking ground amen you just leave the world's most perfect TV show alone. Thank Leave you very much. Leave it fucking be. Oh, like when TikTok tried to cancel Friends. Uh uh-uh. uh. <laughs> Sorry, motherfuckers. It's too late. <clears throat> Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, wait until they find about all in the family. They'll their heads will explode. Go watch them, Roseanne. <laughs> yeah, or the honeymooners where he threatened to oh, beat his wife right to all the, moon, the time. Alice. <laughs> Anywho, this week, speaking of beating your wife, mm-hmm. we're doing the twisted, crazy roller coaster case of Robert Durst. I, what'd you watch? All Good Things. Which is a movie. Correct. Based on Robert Durst. Which, Did like, you know anything about this? No. Movie? I've never heard anything. And it's got like an A-list cast. Oh, it's a, yeah. It's like a real movie. Yeah. No, believe me. Okay, good. So I found a. A good one. Mm-hmm. Exciting. Yeah, my movie's 2010. And I knew about Robert Durst 
because he has a six part documentary series about him. Mm-hmm. I did not know that they had made like a real life movie about him. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I would have done this earlier. Okay. I had no clue. I thought it was just a documentary. Right. So I never brought him up. But you figured out the movie and it's a real movie. It's a real movie. Great job. Yeah. Yay. And it came out in the middle. Like it came out in the middle of him getting like charged for stuff. Like it came out in the middle of like the circus. Yeah. So I have basically two sources, a great article um, from Vulture. Mm. And I, I had started watching it before. I didn't finish it. So the past two days, Mm. two days has been spent with me watching the six part docuseries, The Jinx, which was originally an HBO series. Dang. It is on HBO Max as we speak. Cool. Okay. You ready? Yes. (laughs) You sure? No. (laughs) I can't wait to see how it lines up with the movie. The movie says straight up that it's very loosely oh usually they're like it's based on no no they definitely took movie leadership and all right yeah robert allen durst is born april 12th 1943 in manhattan to real estate tycoon seymour durst and socialite mother bernice hurstein He's the oldest of four kids, and he's a very shy, sensitive kid. He's a mama's boy, bit of a little bit of a like a whiny boy. Mm-hmm. So already right out the gate, he's not what Seymour probably envisioned no. as like his eldest son to as, be. As like heir to the throne. Yeah. Right. Um, and looking at the footage in the documentary of him growing up, it's very like jfk like kennedy style east coast rich Mm -hmm. videos yes high-end preppy martha's vineyard yes bullshit you know it but with that usually comes a fucked up mom these families usually come up with depressed pills alcoholic uh out mothers and his mom is no exception and at seven years old, his mother jumps off the roof of their mansion and commits suicide. Okay. Now, a lot of this is coming from interviews that Robert did with the film, the documentary makers for The Jinx. He sat down and did these long, extensive interviews with them. So Robert claims that his dad... Because this is the middle of the night. Yeah. That his dad took him from his room and took him to one of the upstairs windows uh-huh. where he could see his mom standing on the roof in her nightgown. Yeah. And he's like, wave hi to mommy, Rob or Bob. They Everyone calls him Bob. Okay. Wave hi to mommy, Bob. Wave hi to mommy. And then Bob watched his mom jump off the roof. So why would dad? So here's a little thing about Robert Durst. He's a habitual liar and he lies through his teeth all about the time. Everything. And watching the documentary, I think I figured out his tell. And so did a lot of people on Reddit. I looked it up. I Googled it. And a lot of people on Reddit were talking about it. Okay. When he says certain things and certain, like, I don't know about if his, if the thing about his mom is a lie or not. We know that his mom definitely committed suicide. I don't know if his dad took him to a window and whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
But there are things that he talks about that is for sure a lie because mm-hmm. we have physical evidence that he is lying about things he says. And whenever he says those things, he blinks his eyes super hard. Oh. Like he does like a hard blink like that, like a tick. Yeah. But he only does it when he says certain things. And he did it when he talked about that incident with the window and his mom. Okay. So I don't know if that's true or not. Interesting. But given my detective skills, yeah. I'll say I don't think that's true. Okay. And his Get dad... It. Absolutely denied it. His brother, Doug, absolutely. He did. That never happened. Okay. Well, very cool. Thank you, Reddit. What can't you guys do? Now, from the moment his mother dies, Bob, I'm just going to call him Bob from now on Mm because that's what they call him. From the moment his mother dies, Bob becomes a real fucking problem. Yeah. He turns into a problem child. He's not listening to any of these people. He doesn't give a fuck about these people. His mother is dead. He starts running away a lot. His dad's never around. Um, And so it's probably a lot of like acting out for attention and stuff. Mm -hmm. Plus a huge sibling rivalry starts with him and the next oldest in line, which is Douglas. Mm -hmm. Him and Doug have some major sibling rivalry because Doug is the golden child. Doug is the one Mm -hmm. that I'm sure Seymour would have wished was like born first. Yeah. So it creates a, a real tension. Oh, yeah. He grows up kind of a loner. He gets through school. He ends up going to college at UCL, UCLA where he ends up meeting his <clears throat> sort of lifelong bestie named Susan Berman. Mm-hmm. Eventually, he moves back to New York in 1969 where his dad really wants him to start working for the family business, which is called the Durst Organization. And he heavily pushes it. He really wants him to do it. But... Our little hippie California Bob wants to open a small health food store in Vermont called All Good Things. Yep. And that's what he does. There we go. He's all, fuck you, dad. Mm -hmm. I'm opening up a fucking hippie health food store. Mm -hmm. So he does that in 1971. And also in 1971, 28-year-old Bob meets 17-year-old Kathy McCormick. She's outgoing and personable. She's beautiful and easy to talk to compared to Bob, who, quite frankly, is like antisocial and has no idea how to like go along with the grain. Okay, Like, you know, when someone tells you something that's not funny, but, you know, you're supposed to like laugh. So you do like a little fake laugh. You do a smile, small talk, pleasantries. He doesn't do that shit. Yeah. And so I think. He talks about falling in love with her and blah, 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 blah. I don't think he falls in love with her. I think he I don't know if he's capable of falling in love with people. I think he loves the image of them together. Mm -hmm. And I think he loves the image of like who they could be and who he could be married to her. Okay. So after two dates, two dates, 17 year old Kathy, he asks her to move in with him and help him run this store in Vermont. Okay. And she's like, yeah, absolutely. Sure. Of course. Why Why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I? Does she know like who he is, that he comes from a wealthy oh, family? Of course. Okay. Of course. So they do that. They're living out their dream. In 1973, Bob's dad kind of really forces him, puts the pressure on him to sell the store, move back to New York, cut the shit out. I gave you those few years. Yeah. Knock it off. Come fucking work for the family. And Bob does just that. So in 1973, he sells the store, 
moves back to um, Manhattan, takes Kathy with him. They get married. He's 30 and she is 19. Wow. Okay. To all outsiders, the marriage is perfect. Bob, of course, is fucking miserable because he does not want to be working for his dad. Yeah. But Kathy doesn't let anybody know about the problems in their marriage. They end up buying a, like a cute little like stone cottage on the lake up in upstate New York. They also have an apartment in Manhattan. And to any outsider. That would be everything. Yeah. The of one course. kind of red flag is the fact that Kathy comes from a very outgoing, big, loving family. And they're very like, you know, they're a big East Coast kind yeah. of like fun family. Oh, yeah. And uh, Bob just doesn't fucking play along. Like yeah. you can even see it in family pictures. They're all smiling and hugging. And, and Bob is just dead. like dead eyed. Mm-hmm. He doesn't fucking like her family and her family is not like thrilled about him either. Besides the age gap. Yeah. But all Kathy has to say are good things. So that's what, what they're going off of. Oh, that's rough. Because, yeah, all you can do is hope that they're making the best choices for themselves. So by 1980, everything seems to be going well. Kathy's actually in med school in New York. But Bob's behavior has been getting worse and worse, more and more out of control. He gets very, like, controlling, very abusive. They kind of don't find that out till later. They find one of Kathy's journals later where she details the abuse, the amount of times that it happens. He even at one point forces her to have an abortion because mm-hmm. he is very anti having kids and she ends up getting pregnant on accident. And in the documentary, he's even like, that was her business. Like that was her job to take care of that. So if her she got business. pregnant, that's her fault. And she had to go take care of it. Nice. She eventually asks Bob for a divorce and he gives her a hard no. It's not going to happen. Plus, the prenup she signed would leave her with basically nothing. Yeah. On January 6, 1982, he finally like beats her up bad enough that she has to go to the hospital and receive treatment, which then, of course, keeps that kind of hard to hide from her friends. They can finally like see what's going on. Yeah. Later that month on January 31st, um, she decides to go to a party at her friend. Uh, I can't say her name. Gilberte. OK. Gilberta. Gilberta. Yeah. Um, she goes to her friend's house for like a little. It's like a like a dinner party. Sure. She actually wasn't even invited. But Gilberta's like she called me. She was in distress. What am I going to do? Turn yeah. her away. So she comes to this party. She spends. She, she says that she spends the whole time basically kind of. Drinking wine and being on the phone with Bob, who's mm-hmm. irate. And she's just arguing the whole time with Bob on the phone. Sounds about right. Mm-hmm. Like someone who's trapped in an abusive relationship. She leaves the party. But before she does, she tells Gilberta, she's saying goodbye to her on the porch and says, if something happens to me, check it out. I'm because I'm afraid of what Bobby will do. Wow. And that is the last time anybody sees Kathy besides Bob Durst. Which is something that, of course, Gilberta has to live with for the rest of her life. And it's really hard on her. Yeah. Could you imagine? February 5th. So this is, what, six days later? Bob finally reports Kathy missing. Okay. She's a missing person. He tells police that what happened was she came home just drunk, you know, from her friend's house. And they did get into a fight. And she wanted to storm off and leave back to New York she had class the next morning 
and she was going to drive. He didn't want her to drive. He refused to let her drive. So they finally compromised. She was going to take like a late train from upstate down to Manhattan and go to their apartment. And the reason it took him so long to report her missing was because she was supposed to be in school. And when she's like really in like the thick of like classes, it's easy for them to go a couple days without talking because she has to spend so much time at school. Right. They have a couple of things to back up Bob's story. Um, First of all, he told them, he told police that he dropped her off at the train station. And then I think he said he went for a walk. He made, um, oh no, he went to a neighbor's house, had a drink with the neighbor Talked to them for a while. Then he took a walk, walked their dog and like kind of walked a couple miles away to a payphone where he stopped, called, made sure that she was like home and like she made it safe and sound and then walked home. And that was the last time he ever talked to her. The doorman at their apartment complex said claimed that he saw her come in at like 11 something at night that she was there headed to the apartment And the next day for med school, she had called in to her. I don't know. I think it was like assistant dean or somebody. But she called into some official and told him that she wasn't going to make it because she was sick that day. Okay. So all of those things lead investigators to believe that Bob is telling the truth. Her friends are a little bit more suspicious than that. They have an idea about the abuse and the controlling behavior. Plus her last words to her friend so they start searching for her and they take their job very fucking seriously. For them. They are taking the same train route she did at the same time of night, asking people like, do you take this train regularly? Have you seen this girl, this woman? They're checking reservoirs and lakes. They're checking hospitals, even out of town hospitals. Yeah, they're just looking all over. They're hounding the police. The lead detective on this case is a real fucking douchebag. And even when they did the documentary all these years later, he was still a fucking douchebag. Okay. He completely shut down these women. He was like, he was basically like, ah, you know, broads are hysterical was like the kind of vibe I was getting from him. They, he did not take them seriously whatsoever. And he's so not willing to hear any kind of evidence or what people are trying to say that I'm almost starting to wonder if he was on the Durst payroll. Uh-huh. Because okay. he is like adamantly like, yep. nope, nope, nope. None of that makes sense. That would never work. Da, 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 da. And that, you're like, uh-huh. I think you nailed it right there. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. So the women, Kathy's friends, decide to like steal Robert's trash. And they steal all of his garbage bags and take it to one of their houses and start opening it up and realize that he's throwing away all of Kathy's possessions, her makeup, her clothes, her hair stuff, just okay. stuff yeah. for somebody who's a quote unquote missing person Why that you, you quote unquote hope are found one day and like are brought home. You'd want her to come home to her stuff. Why are you throwing away her possessions? Mm-hmm. They also find in this trash bag. A piece of paper that's like a list that Bob wrote a list out on. And this is what the list says. Town dump, bridge, dig, boat, other, shovel, question mark, car slash truck, rent, 
And that was the list. And they're like, that's suspicious as fuck. So again, they take this and all their other shit to the detective and he doesn't give a fuck. He he's not hearing it. That's so crazy. You So Bobby and Nick have a story one time. I think they were trying to like patch some tubes for a rafting trip or something. But they went to Walmart at like two o'clock in the morning and like trash bags, gloves, duct tape. Oh, yeah. Like pocket. And it's like just what are you thinking these people? And yeah, so you yeah. read a list like that and you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? Not to mention this is. February in upstate New York. Right. What are you doing with a shovel? Yeah. Uh-huh. The ground is frozen. Uh-huh. Like, yeah, none of this makes sense. Uh-huh. But the detective doesn't give a fuck. So around this time, Bob cuts off all communication with the McCormick family, the friends, you know, not very like missing wife, husband of him. Uh, of right? course. He also at this time starts just like withdrawing from the public in general calls up his old BFF, Susan Berman, mm-hmm. to College girl. be mm-hmm. like his spokesman, spokesperson. Represent him. Mm-hmm. To the media. Okay. To like speak for him. Yeah. Because he's so distraught. Who's Susan Berman, you ask? Well, let me tell oh, you. please. Besides Who's- his college friend, she is the daughter of a notorious mob boss. She's from Las Vegas. Both of her parents are killed when she is fairly young she's now an author at this time she was an author living in la writing books about the mafia kind of like an insider scoop and she is definitely the closest friend that bob has in his life they sound perfect for one another yeah Mm -hmm. for sure now a couple of red flags do pop up whether the detective wants to admit it or not one is that they find out that when bob did finally get around to reporting his wife missing that he didn't drive his car into the city he took a train which is like whatever but like why are you not taking your car are you worried that someone's gonna like look Look in it yeah yeah also they started reviewing phone records and found out that the tuesday after kathy disappeared the durst organization their main office got a couple collect phone calls from a laundromat in Ship Bottom, New Jersey. Okay. The reason this is suspicious is because there's only two people in the world that called the Durst organization on collect, and it's Seymour Durst, the CEO, mm-hmm. and Robert Durst. Because okay. he was like, fuck you, if I'm going to call, my dad can pay for it. So they're like, obviously Seymour Durst wasn't in Ship Bottom, New Jersey, so it has to be Bob Durst. Bob. Now, what's interesting about Ship Bottom, New Jersey is oh. it's located near the Pine Barrens, which is famous in New Jersey mm-hmm. for mafia bosses dumping bodies. I watch Sopranos and I feel like that's how I know about the Pine Barrens. Who else would know about mafia bosses <laughs> dumping <laughs> bodies, but maybe a mafia boss's daughter? There you go. Miss Berman. They also said that Susan would do absolutely anything for her friends, especially Bob. She had a real soft spot for him. So it makes you wonder that phone call did come to the to her medical school. Mm-hmm. Could it have been Susan? Mm. Maybe. So 1983, after a period of mourning, um, Bobby goes back to work, living his life in New York. In 1988, he starts dating a woman named Deborah Lee. Charatan, 
who is a successful uh, New York City real estate broker. Mm. In 1990, uh, Bob sells the cottage. He secretly divorces his still missing wife because she's just a missing persons case. Okay. Right. They don't have anything to say that she was murdered. Yeah. So she's a missing person. So he divorces her, citing abandonment. Oh. And uh, yeah, just kind of living his life. Eventually, in 1994, his behavior becomes so erratic that his dad kind of ousts him as head of the company mm. and puts his younger brother Douglas in charge, mm -hmm. which is a real problem. Yeah. It really affects Bob hard. Uh, he then kind of breaks away from his family and spends the rest of the 90s just kind of traveling around, being a vagabond. He's still, I don't know if dating Deb is the right word, but he's very much in contact with her, more so than pretty much anybody else in his life. In 1999, late 1999, the police end up receiving what becomes is actually a fake tip about a location to Kathy Durst's body. Okay. The tip doesn't pan out to be anything, but they do. It causes them to like reopen her case. They actually go back and because guess what? Robert Durst's house, the Kathy and Robert's little cottage was never searched. Oh, so the cops decide we have a new location. Well, no, no, no. We have a new like team of people. <coughs> mm. So like the shitty detective I was telling you about who yeah. was in charge in the first place, he's not in charge anymore. Gotcha. We have a new Get team new of eyes people. On it. We have a new DA in charge. Let's try again. And they're like going after it. Okay. Um. So they're like, what do you mean their fucking house was never searched? So all these years later, they search the house. They search the lake. They don't find anything, which isn't surprising. But it's like, man, it would have been nice to search that shit years and years ago again and it makes you question it's like so how many people were they paying off to do what to cover this exactly now in august of 2000 our girl susan who eh, kind of like on and off again talks to bob here and there she's kind of gone broke yeah she's living in la She's not making a ton of money. So she actually reaches out to a lot of friends. Mm -hmm. She has a whole list that they end up finding of friends that she's reached out to and how much money they've given her. But she definitely reaches out to Bob and he sends her two checks, each worth $25,000 with a note basically saying like, here's to the good old days or something like yeah. that. Like, here's to our past mm -hmm. which does make me wonder i'm like is this like a blackmail check yeah. is she like i know something uh-huh that you don't want anyone to know you better send me because his money is so much higher like other friends send her like oh maybe a thousand bucks no that's a you lot. know 800 or whatever yeah. he sends her 50 grand right which uh, back well like what was i was I'm like which back then it's not back then it's in it i mean 2000 yeah. i mean it's it's not gonna be like a huge difference. right it is to be noted that interviewing her friends on the documentary that she at the time was talking about how she was about to write the book of all books, the biggest tell all that she had something huge and it was going to blow people's minds and they don't know what she was talking about. Mm -hmm. There's no proof about what she was talking about, but I do wonder was she talking about Bob? Yeah. 
So Bob sends her those checks. At the same time, Susan's getting hit up by our new detective squad about Kathy's disappearance. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember if there's like proof that she like agreed to talk to them or not. But um, I think she did tell Bob like, yeah, they came asking. And I can't remember if she said she talked to him or not. So on December 11th, 2000, Bob finally marries Deborah Mm -hmm. in a very quick secret 15 minute ceremony where he romantical looked absolutely miserable. (laughs) The rabbi was hired out of the phone book and did it right. Basically then and there that day. Cool. Um, So that was a quick rushed air quote ceremony on the 11th. And then on December 19th, Rob, I keep calling him Rob. Bob, Bab, flies from New York City to Northern California. Deep, deep Northern California to a town I've never heard of, Trinidad, California. Okay. Which is almost three hours north of Eureka. Uh-huh. So we're talking about almost north, border of Oregon. Yeah. yeah. He is deep in the fucking Redwoods mm-hmm. at this point. So he heads out to Trinidad, California. He picks up a rental car. Mm-hmm. Um, the next day, he makes two phone calls in Garberville, which is a couple hours yep. south of Trinidad. And then he disappears for three days. Uh, he reappears on December 23rd when he books a flight and flies from San Francisco back home to New York. Bizarre. December 24th. Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve, 2000. Susan Berman is found dead in her Los Angeles home. (gasps) She's been shot once to the back of her head, mafia style. There's no signs of forced entry. There's no signs of robbery. Yeah. Um, The only thing they have to go off of is a letter that had been sent to the Beverly Hills Police Department. When they open the letter, it basically just has... Um, Susan's address and the word cadaver. Crazy. This whole thing, including the front of the letter, is written in these big kind of block letters. Mm-hmm. And they misspelled the word Cont- Beverly. Uh, no, not cadaver. Ew. Beverly. Huh. They put um, an L-E-Y. So they misspelled the word Beverly. They have these big, like, weird blocky letters the LAPD is even looking at Robert Durst as a of course not no one's ever looked at him now in April 2001 to kind of escape life and media attention because the case for Kathy's been reopened and he decides to take off and hide in Galveston Texas Galveston where he dresses as a woman and introduces himself as a mute woman named Dorothy Signer. And he has to be mute because he can't fake a woman's voice is what he says. And he's admitting to all of this on this interview on the yeah. jinx, by the way. Oh, he's yeah. totally open I about know. everything. Mm-hmm. Um he books a room mm-hmm. at a like really run down shitty boarding house. Mm-hmm. And he becomes friends with his neighbor who's a old cantankerous grumpy old man named you Morris Black. Oh, I love it. You know I fucking <laughs> love Morris her. Black is such a grumpy ass old man. I can't wait to be a crotchety old person. 
I won't need the scooter at the grocery store. I will be riding in it because it's fun. Yeah. I will be hitting people with the cane just for kicks. Sweater vests all year round. Yeah. And that's Morris. Uh, <laughs> and they do become good enough friends that Morris does find out about Bob's identity. Mm-hmm. You think? He finds out that Bob Shocking. is a weird, creepy, <laughs> middle-aged man dressed as a mute woman in fucking Texas. Uh-huh. And... Bob basically just explained it. If you want to believe Bob's tale. Sure. That like he just needed a break from being Robert Durst. Yeah. And he needed to get away and like hide and, you know, just have a break from it all. And he's he said that um, he said that Morris was like, oh, yeah, I've been there before. Well, that's all it all it takes. Right. Just move to another state and just dresses the opposite sex and you're good. Let's start over. September 30th, 2001, a family fishing in Galveston discovers a dismembered torso <gasps> floating off the beach in the water. Shut up. The torso is not in a garbage bag, so it's just a torso. They cool. Call the police and they investigate. Girl, the- you're fishing with your family. <laughs> A torso. So my... Like nipples. Like, wh- how do you determine it's a torso? Like, how long... It's obviously a torso. No, I know, but like... I how- saw the picture. Okay, I was going to say, how long would you have to stare at it before you, like, really, like... I don't know, but I can tell you that the police officer who had to come get it out of the water really drove home the point to the filmmakers that he had to stick his arm into the neck hole to get and it. grab it up underneath the yeah, rib cage yeah, yeah. to pull it up out of the water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was very descriptive about it. You're like, why are you so into this description? I get it. Oh, man. Wow. On a side note, my 12-year-old is a full-blown, like, kind of shitty, funny 12-year-old. And so they were watching, because this is how the documentary actually opens. Mm-hmm. It opens with the finding with the of the torso. torso. And so, like, my 12-year-old has this funny thing they do where they, like, <laughs> they'll point out whatever somebody's lacking. So, like, let's say it's a, I'm so sorry, God forgive us. If it's, like, an orphan, my 12-year-old go, no parents, right. imagine. Or, like, <laughs> yeah. if it's a short person, they'll be like, no height, couldn't uh, it be me? Uh, <laughs> And so, like, they're playing their, like, little switch game. And I'm watching this movie taking notes. And they're hearing what's going on. They look up and they go, because mm, so they found they found the torso. Then they found the rest of the limbs in garbage bags. Yeah. But they never found the head. And then my 12-year-old goes, mm, no head. Imagine. You're like, God. <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny that's to me. Best. That is so funny. No. 12-year-olds are such assholes. And they're so funny. And that's why. It's because they're salty and, like... The way that they just so cattily like just say things. It's so like, casual. Yeah, it it's so funny. Imagine. Imagine. Yeah. No head. Right. Like, okay. It's like imagine me slapping you upside the <laughs> face, bitch. What are you talking about? I know. It what makes you, me what laugh so I, much. What are you talking about? I have a real soft spot for shitty 12-year-olds. I think they're funny. Mm. All right. Anyways. So, yeah. Like I just said. They found the torso. They come. They inspect the water. They find the rest of the body in different bags floating around. This is exciting. This is all new to me. No head. Cool. <laughs> so they don't know who it is. Yeah. I have to ask. Does the torso have boobs or is it just bone? Um. No, it's a man's torso. It's a man's torso. Oh. Now... Along with the body parts and garbage bags, mm-hmm. they also find the packaging for like a bow saw. 
which oh, is like a yeah. handsaw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And a newspaper with the address of this boarding house mm-hmm. in Galveston. And they show up to this boarding house. They find trails of blood. That's right. That mm-hmm. lead them to Morris Black's um, apartment. They find blood and other evidence in his neighbor's apartment. They go through the garbage and they find a receipt yep. that says the neighbor is one Robert Durst. And the owner of the boarding house is shocked. He's like, no, nah, it's a oh. mute woman. He's all, but she did have a brother-in-law that hung out a bunch. Come on, my guy. (laughs) October 9th, police find Robert, who's been staying at a hotel under another alias. Um, They search his car and they find the bow saw that was used to dismember Morris Black, as well as um, a gun. They lock him up. They tell him his they don't know who he is. This is all the way in Texas. They don't give a fuck about any real estate tycoon. No, son. they don't, they don't know, know anything. Who Robert Durst no. is. And so they they set bail for like three hundred like almost three hundred thousand okay. dollars. And they're all, do you have that for bail? And Bob tells him, well, not on me. <laughs> Cocky motherfucker. And then he makes one phone call to his wife, Deb. And she posts, he's still married. Well, here's the thing about getting married, because think of the dates. He marries Deborah a couple of days before he leaves for California. Mm-hmm. And once you marry somebody, at least in the state of New York, I don't know if it's a federal thing or if it's state by state. But now Deb is protected by the like. Oh, you can't. You can't talk about talk your about your spouse. Gotcha. Okay. Why do you think yeah, we yeah, had yeah. a fifteen-minute ceremony with a rabbi from the phone book? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Deb post bail. He's out. Yeah. And he's immediately on the run. Mm-hmm. They're like, "Don't go anywhere. You still have to stand trial." And he's like, "Nah, I'm out of here." He's like, rules are for poor people. I'm fucking rich. I'm cool. My dad will take care of it. So he has Morris Black's ID, and now he's posing as Morris Black. And he rents a car, and he's on the run. Um, The old-ass man. He's (laughs) In November, a judge finally declares Kathy Durst is legally dead. So she's no longer a missing person. Now we're looking for, like, a murder Uh ring suspect. November 30th, Robert Durst is finally arrested in Pennsylvania in a grocery store because this rich cake eating silver spoon motherfucker who has $500 cash on him is trying to shoplift a goddamn sandwich. He has cash on him. $500 worth of cash on him. And he shoplifts a A fucking sandwich. sandwich. Because he's used to getting away with doing whatever Anything. he wants. Because he's a little bitch Spoiled ass. brat. And he's caught on camera. They follow him out. They call They call police. And they show up. And they see in his car that he has two guns, Morris Black's stolen driver's license, and an additional $37,000 in cash in the Ooh. car. So he's arrested. Yeah. By the way, he talks about... Get arrested for stealing a sandwich, bitch. He... By the way, loved jail. He talked about it like it was such an adventure. They have the, obviously, all the phone calls are recorded that he was making to Deb. 
And he's talking about it like, you won't believe Guess how, what I did today, yeah, Deb. How comfy the coveralls are, like oh. the jumpsuits. They're so comfy. The linens are so what fresh. What he was eating, like how he's making friends in there. You should see the pictures of him. It's wild. He has tons of pictures. Is he happier in there than, Probably, he, than but his wedding he's pictures? He's doing the like pictures where like kind of old school like gangsters do in prison where he's like squatting down and like striking a pose and like all of the like mm-hmm. boys are behind him. He's like, yeah, they all call me Mr. Bob. They all really like me in here. Oh my goodness. That's so but like, he how keeps, did he even get their respect? But he keeps almost slipping up on the phone with Deb and she keeps reminding him like, ah, da, 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 da. don't fucking yeah. say anything. It's being recorded. And he's like, oh, oh yeah, 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 that's right. And when they're doing the documentary, he keeps <clears throat> doing that too. Like they'll, a- they'll ask him questions. He answers them beautifully. The filmmakers actually kind of like him. He does have like kind of the, a charming oh. New york quality yeah. about him. But then as soon as they like, okay, let's take a break. Let's get a drink, and whatever. No, he doesn't flip, but he'll start talking to himself. Mm. And he'll start like kind of mumbling to himself and like kind of talking through like his answers and what he should say or shouldn't say. Mm. And he always has a lawyer present. His mm. lawyer always shows up and goes, hey, 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 hey. They can hear what you're saying because your microphone is hot. You have your microphone's on. But he's old as fuck. So yeah. he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he keeps forgetting about the microphone. And same thing on the phone with Deborah. Like, he keeps forgetting right. that he's, like, being recorded. September 2003, he goes on trial for the death of Morris Black. He argues that he killed it. He killed Morris in self-defense. He ends up spending $1.8 million on his defense. He has the best defense team that you could pot that yeah, money could that, buy. They're- that there is Mm -hmm. they actually hire a private investigator to like look into like bob's history or whatever to like pull things out to make him look like a good guy and an innocent guy and it backfires completely because all they find is the fact that bob lied multiple times to police um starting with the the phone call remember i said oh he took a walk and he made a call on a payphone. He changed the answer a bunch of times. It went yeah. from pay phone to house phone to this phone to that phone, different times of night. Mm-hmm. He changed the times of night that he dropped Kathy off. He told them about getting a drink with the neighbor. They finally interviewed the neighbor. He's all, that didn't <laughs> fucking happen. He just lied. Like, I didn't see him at all. Yeah. Like, we weren't drinking buddies. Come to find out the doorman at the apartment complex never even saw Kathy. That was a whole lie that was made up. Needless to say, the P.I. gets fired and they're like, let's stop doing that. That's not (laughs) working out for us. It's just showing that Bob's a huge fucking liar. For real, though. So they their defense is that he did it in self-defense, that they got into a little squabble. He had a gun on the table. Morris grabbed it and they wrestled around and then he shot Morris. Mm -hmm. Fine. I mean, later Uh, evidence shows that that's probably not true, but. He's charming enough on the stand that he gets the jury on his side. He gets the jury like laughing. And yeah, I know. That's so gross to think that he would convince these this group of people. And they buy it, too. They they um, interview a group of your peers. Remember, they interview because this is the 2000s. So they interview jury members that were on the trial and they were like, yeah, we just couldn't see him doing something like that. He does, however, admit to dismembering him. Mm-hmm. So he does admit to killing him, but it's in self-defense. You have to remember this is Texas. 
they have very loosey-goosey laws when it comes to self-defense. You're allowed oh. to absolutely do anything yeah, you if you carry. feel threatened. Mm-hmm. But the lawyers have to keep reminding him when he's on the stand because he gets so into talking about it. They're like, remember. Less is more. You were scared. You were fearful of your life. Remember that you're mm-hmm. scared, right? You are really, really scared because he starts talking and embellishing and like getting yeah. all into it. They're like, stop acting like this was the best time of your I life. Know. Oh, my God. <laughs> and he does plead guilty to dismembering and disposing of the body. So he is found not guilty of the murder of Morris Black. He is obviously found guilty because he pled guilty of tampering with evidence and jumping bail. And he's sentenced to five years in prison with credit for time already served. Oh. That's September 2004, December 2005. He's out on parole. He's told to stay near his home. Of course, he violates these instructions. He goes back to Texas, and he's seen by um, the same judge who presided over his murder trial, like at the mall or something. And they're like, eh? And he, obviously, he's thrown back in jail for violating his parole. Wow fucking moron amazing to be caught at the mall by the judge that what you said presided over your case Mm -hmm. oh my god now uh, i don't know a bunch of stuff happens he's in and out of jail there's like a settlement from his family who's basically completely cut him off at this point in 2010 all good things is released the movie loosely based on oh i thought we were talking about the health food store. no the movie you watch yes mm-hmm. is released bob sees it at a private screening he's interviewed mm. by the new york times he said quote parts made me cry it but against the advice of his lawyer he agrees to sit down to a lengthy interview with Andrew Jarecki, who ends up making the HBO docuseries, The Jinx. What's behind the title? The Jinx? Oh, you know what? They did say it, and I can't remember what they, I can't remember what it was. Oh, a follow-up, maybe? Maybe. I actually have a couple follow-ups. Can you remind me after I'm done talking that I have follow-ups from last week? So he's interviewed. They're, They're just going through it. Um... They do ask him at some point about Susan and he's like, the timing of Susan's death, though, is really tight for me to have done it because I was only in California for so long. Now, just real quick, as a California native myself, I did the California drive time math because people don't realize how long it takes to get from north to south. For sure. Forever. So he says it's especially too- as far north as he and was. He claims I was too far north. Like he claims it, it, the timing's too tight. There's no way that I could have gone. I was there. I could have gone down there. Blah, blah, break blah, it blah. Down. So he starts off in Trinidad. Yes. California. Which you said was like basically the Oregon border. Almost. It's two hours from the Oregon. Oregon yeah. Border. That's super fucking close. Mm-hmm. It takes 11 hours to drive. From Trinidad to L.A. Yep. We know he's headed south because he stopped and made those phone calls in Garberville, which is south. Mm -hmm. So he's headed south. In that direction. In his rental car. Mm -hmm. 
He's in California for a total of like four days, I think. Oh, well, you can easily do that. So yeah. 11 hours from Trinidad to L.A. Mm-hmm. He does whatever he has to you do got in plenty L.A. Of time. Then it's only six to, to seven to if you hit traffic to get from L.A. to SFO. Yeah. So Easy. he had plenty of fucking plenty of time, time yeah. to drive all around. He could have broken it up, stopped, had a fucking scenic route mm-hmm. thrown in. So while he's doing the interview, I just I didn't know where to put that, but I feel like the drive time is important. It he is. Swear is that that's not enough time? No, that's plenty of time. Now they're wrapping up the making of the Jinx. They've done the interviews with him. The filmmaker, Andrew, is still not sure if he's guilty or innocent. Mm -hmm. He doesn't know which way to go. When Susan Berman's stepson calls him up and Susan Berman's stepson. She has a stepson. She has a stepson and a stepdaughter who she was very close to. They considered her like their mom. They are very, very close to Susan. And her stepson ends up being very close to Bob. Mm -hmm. They Bob reaches out. They have a little bit of a friendship. Bob pays for his college for him to go to school. Okay. And so her her stepson would never say anything condemning about Bob, right? But he's going through her old boxes and she and he finds boxes of letters that had been going to and from his stepmom. And in it, he finds the letters that Bob sent to Susan that had contained the checks for $25,000. And guess what? Ooh. The address. This is a, Is this in your movie? The address, Susan's address in Beverly Hills is written out in that weird block letter handwriting. Is it spelled wrong? And he misspelled Beverly. Ooh. And the filmmakers see this and they get chills. I have chills. What the fuck? I have chills. So they get get it from him, these envelopes. They put them in plastic bags and they do not give it to police. They put it in a P.O. box and they decide what do we do next. So they decide to try to get Bob in there for like a follow-up interview. Mm -hmm. Like we have some things, loose ends to tie up. Can you come back in? And Bob's like, oh, yeah, 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 sure. He tells him that he's going to coast or no, he's, that he's going to Spain. And they're like, OK, when you get back from Spain, give us a call. Susan's stepson calls them and was like, he's not in Spain. He's in L.A. He just told you guys he was in Spain. Oh, I was going to say, don't let him go to fucking Spain. Well, now they're like, well, now he's lying, actively lying to us. They go back and forth for like a long period of time. And eventually mm-hmm. Bob tells them no. He he's like catching on to what they're doing. Yeah. Because he found out that they had reached out to Susan's stepson. He doesn't quite know the rub. It doesn't matter. But he's like. It's he, still. He's not a dumb guy. Yeah. And he's like. That's I, how he's gotten this far. Yeah. He's like, I think I know what you guys are trying to do. I I'm think out. we're done with this movie. I think you've had enough Robert Durst. Yeah. To last you. Oh, my gosh. So is that how it ends? It's like. No, we're not even close. Oh, my. <gasps> no, we are close. But, but yeah. So while this is going on, Bob's younger brother, Doug, puts out a restraining order against him because obviously Bob is not a stable person. Right. And he's been showing up at Doug's house. His like, I don't know. It's not a brownstone. It's like a, it's not a penthouse. It's like a New York house. That's fine. Yeah. And in fact, when he was filming just like 
extra footage for the documentary. Mm-hmm. They went by Doug's house and Bob made it a point to tell Andrew, hey, take film of me standing on my brother's like steps yeah, on the stoop on the stoop mm-hmm. and the and andrew and the camera are like that's kind of weird right because he wouldn't fucking leave and they're like okay we got it bob and he's like no. lingering uh-huh. and like what is he lingering for like let's fucking go dude yeah huh so he keeps doing that and he keeps showing up with like backpacks lingering on the doorsteps on the stoop doug mm-hmm. has all of this on like a camera a security camera and so he puts out a restraining order and then Bob keeps doing it, which breaks his restraining order, gets him arrested. He bails out again, but he ends up calling Andrew after a ton of time has gone by and was like, hey, yeah. so remember all that footage you took of me on Doug's doorstep? Like the police are going to want to see that and you can let them see that or you don't have to. And I can come in and do that second interview for you. And Andrew's like, fucking perfect. Let's just do the interview, Bob. Like, I don't I won't show the police anything. Come on in. And then they do a second interview. They're showing him pictures. And then they finally hit him with the no letter, letter, with the, the cadaver letter, with the envelope. They bring up the fact that he said the word cadaver. Instead of body, mm-hmm. because his That's wife, well, and his wife, Kathy, was a medical student who worked actively on a cadaver and she didn't want to give it like a nickname because she didn't want to belittle the fact that they were a human being mm-hmm. at one point. So, so she it. always used the medical term cadaver. Mm-hmm. So they're like that word was already like in his brain, in his lexicon. Yep. So they're like, That's weird. The misspellings match and Andrew and the filmmakers went to like a forensic handwriting expert who was like, I can't compare two things. I need more documents. Andrew's like, I got hella documents because he had a bunch of stuff that like Bob had given them over the years Mm -hmm. and he broke it all down with over like 40 pieces of documents and said it was for sure a match to Bob Durst. They hit Bob with that and he for once, starts panicking. Oh, my God. He starts stammering and stuttering. He starts burping, like belching and like fake stretching and fake yawning. Ew. acting like he's so tired. And then Andrew's kind of like, so what do you think about that? And Bob's like, just kind of like, I don't know. He's like, anybody can misspell Beverly. He's like, the handwriting doesn't even look the same. Meanwhile, it's identically mm-hmm. the same. He's mm-hmm. like. That doesn't even look the same. I think that looks the same as the misspelling of the word Beverly. And anybody could misspell the word Beverly. Oh, calm down, Bobbert. <laughs> so they cut the interview. And Bob's like, I'm going to go use the restroom. And Andrew's like, yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. He bounces. So, no. Ooh. He goes to the bathroom. Okay. But this old, non-listening, egotistical motherfucker forgets that his God damn, damn microphone, microphone is on. on. God damn it. Ah! How many times the lawyers have to fucking tell you, dude? So he's in he's there. Hot. He's panicking and he's talking to himself. And this is what he says. He says, what a disaster. He was right. I was wrong. And the burping. I'm having difficulty with that question. What the hell did I do? Killed them all, of course. They have it on recording. Oh, my goodness. My brain is like shattering right now. (laughs) 
LAPD reopens the investigation into Susan Berman's murder. The Jinx filmmakers bring LAPD all the stuff, the fucking notes, the forensic shit that they paid for to have done, the audio that they have. And after the fifth, so this is a six part series. After the fifth episode of the Jinx um, premieres, a Los Angeles judge signs a warrant for Robert Durst's arrest for the murder of Susan Berman. And March 14th, 2015, the day before the Jinx finale, the FBI arrests Robert Durst in New Orleans, where he is thought to be planning an escape to Cuba. At the time of his arrest, Bob Durst is in possession of a gun, $40,000 in cash, a latex mask. March 17th, 2015, Robert Durst is officially charged with first degree murder. Wow. And there's a bunch of other stuff that happens in 2015. Like the New York Daily News discovers a old report from San Francisco District Attorney's Office that attempts to connect Robert Durst to the 1997 disappearance of two teenage teenage girls in Northern California. Um, Apparently, Bob frequently stayed at a homeless shelter where they volunteered. Um, He ends up getting an extradition to California, but that's put on hold while he faces charges in Louisiana for a gun charge. Vermont police begin investigating a possible link between Bob Durst and a college student who went missing in 1971 after shopping at his health food store. February 2016, Robert Durst pleads guilty to the gun charge in Louisiana. As a part of his plea deal, he is sentenced to 85 months in federal prison. November 7th, he pleads not guilty to the murder of Susan Berman. October 26, 2018, two years later, after a series of delays brought on by his bad health and then a hurricane, Hurricane Harvey, A superior court judge orders Robert Durst to stand trial finally for the Susan Berman murder. The court hears the tapes and all of the evidence filed by the Jinx documentary team. And March 2nd, 2020, the trial for the murder of Susan Berman finally begins. It's then put on hold because of fucking COVID. Oh, my gosh. May 17th, 2021, the trial resumes. And September 17th, 2021, Robert Durst is convicted for the murder of Susan Berman. He is sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. In October 22nd, 2021, state police in New York charge Robert Durst with the murder of his wife, Kathy. Wow. And January 10th, 2022, Robert Durst, that fucking piece of shit, goes into cardiac arrest at California's San Joaquin General Hospital and dies. I'm, I, mic drop. I'm, I'm done. I have left. Bye, bitch. I have left the podcast. (laughs) What an incredible episode. Robert Durst. What What a piece of shit, huh? Dang! I lost my top. My fuzz came off. I I lost my literal top. 
I'm speechless. There you go. Unfortunately, Uh, Kathy's body has still not been found, and her family begged him in open court to tell them where her body was, and he did not say anything because he's a piece of shit through Mm -hmm. and through. Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah. Your movie wouldn't have any of that good stuff because no. it came out before yeah. all this stuff yeah, happened. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah, because well, we'll get to it, I guess. Wow. I'm just. I'm so in my feels right now. What? The, the twist, the turns. Yeah. The ups, just, the downs. Yeah. And to just go into it so blindly. Yeah. To just pick a random movie off of the internet. No, I knew it when you picked the movie. I was like, oh, like, Robert Durst. Like, I knew this. that the, it was going to be a lot. Like I said, I did this real quick style at work. It's late at night. We see a car. We don't know who's inside or where it's going. In the background, we hear people talking. It sounds like we're in a courthouse. One man introduces himself as David Marks. This is Bobbert. Okay. (laughs) David is being questioned about the death of his mother when he was seven. Apparently, he was present at the time of what they describe as a violent death. But that's all we get. Mm -hmm. Text pops up on the screen that reads, This story is inspired by the events that took place between January of 1971 and November 2003. So that's where they left off. We see a much younger David. I guess we go back to like 1971, right? He's in a fancy black and white tuxedo. I have no idea why he's dressed up and he's calling his dad on a payphone and his dad's telling him he needs to go fix a plumbing issue at like one of the buildings that they're responsible for that they own. So he jumps in his car where he first smokes a doobie. So immediately I like him. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm on on his side. side. (laughs) (laughs) And he has a pet Husky who just like hangs out in the car. (laughs) So I'm like, okay, you're my people. He arrives at the apartment and we see Katie played by Kirsten Dunst. And (laughs) he's too stoned to remember why he's there. Right. He knocks on the door and she's like, hi, can I help you? Because he's in a tuxedo. She's like, what the fuck are you doing here? And he's like, I don't really know. (laughs) (laughs) That's her fault for answering the door. I could never. Eventually, she lets him in. Uh, She asks, like, what's up with the suit? He's like, oh, don't worry. You're not keeping me from anything that I actually want to be at. Oh. It's obvious early on that him fixing the sink is not gonna happen if anything he's only making it worse (laughs) (laughs) and so he goes to leave but on his way out he drops a little game Mm. all right he talks the talk and little miss katie pants (laughs) 
<laughs> ends up joining him at whatever apparent dinner party he was supposed to be at. Who's playing Robert Durst? Robert Durst is David, who is Ryan Gosling. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. I left that out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, wasn't he someone famous? Yeah. Yeah. Ryan Gosling. So we have Ryan Gosling and we have Kirsten Durst. Her- Kirsten, Kirsten Dunst. Kirsten Dunst. Right. I'm, Who's Kirsten Durst? Right. Is that a person? Did I just make that person up? Kristen Dunst. I think it's Kirsten. God damn it. If you correct me one more time, I'm going to cry. I know who she is. I know. Jumanji. Oh, I'm so lost. You should just keep shuffling those papers around. Every time. Every time. Oh, no. Am I even on this page anymore? God. We got this. We do. At the dinner party, David's dad, Sanford. Oh. Sanford Marks walks up and starts scolding him for always being late. It doesn't help, dad, that you're the reason that he's fucking late. You told him mm-hmm. to go to the fucking plumbing thing. Right. What do you want from it? Right. Katie introduces herself as such as Katie and immediately gets belittled by the dad. Always introduce yourself by your full name, dear. Yeah. David, you can't just show up here at these events with these girls that you're trying to lay. <laughs> like dad immediately is just like, lovely. What are you doing showing up with this trash? Oh my God. Mm-hmm. At dinner, we learn that the Marx family is prestigious in real estate, business, and investment. And their many generations of Marx men have been cleaning up the streets of New York and blah, blah, blah. Based on the appearance of Katie's apartment, that's not the case. It seems like they're really taking care of like the seedy ass, fucking dirty side of New York. Interesting. Mm-hmm. At the dinner, David and Katie sneak off to get high with the dog. <laughs> As they should. <laughs> they're in some alley somewhere and they discuss their dreams. He isn't interested in the family legacy at all. He wants to branch out and open a health food store, and she wants to attend medical school, and neither of them think that they can actually do it. Okay. We soon learn that they can make things work. They move to Vermont, and they buy land, and they open all good things, the health food store. So they mix up the timeline a little bit, right? He didn't know her until after. Yeah. But yeah, but whatever. Close enough. Same shit. Yeah. Sanford is not thrilled, to say the least, telling David she'll never be one of us. But that's exactly why he loves her. Right. Well, yeah. Well, in the movie. Air quote. Right. I don't know David's an asshole. Remember, he's. A high dog-owning health Health food food store-owning Vermontian. In this, like, up until this point, I'm in love with David. I'm like, he's the best. Also, is Kathy a lot younger? Or, sorry, Katie. Is Katie a lot younger They never discuss age. Okay. That never became an issue, and I was surprised when you said that. I was like, oh, I thought that was really interesting. Although, what's not surprising is, like, yeah, of course it was easy for him to like coerce like a young naive. Oh yeah. 
he was good looking in the movie, obviously. Is he good looking? No. no. I mean, it's so hard because we have a different definition of good looking than the 70s do. I was going to say for 70s, like mobster New York look. Well, he's not and mobster. Oh, yeah. He's a fucking silver spooner. Yeah. He is know, not yeah. a mafia guy. He is right. very small. He's a very small man. Okay. Very mouse-like. Huh. Yeah, not that vibe. No. Yeah, I don't. So it's not my type. Now, yeah. you know, maybe some people are into like a very waifish man. I am mm-hmm. not. I'm more into like lumberjacks. You For know sure. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We finally get to meet Katie's family, who is the exact opposite of David's kind of like we've discussed. There are kind of people. They are loud and unpolished and unapologetic and fun and my type of family. Yeah, this is. Yeah. Give me that over all the billions in the world. You're going to love it even more. Her brother, Jim is played by drum roll, please. Nick Offerman. Yeah. (laughs) That's almost as good as a Tony Shalhoub. So, Right. You get the idea. If you don't know audience, his epic role as Ron Swanson. My favorite show of all time. From Parks and Rec. You also might remember him as Jack Whitman from Mr. Monk and the Election. (laughs) Ah! Yes, yes. Double threat. Oh my god! Oh my god! My Cheers. notes are we everywhere. Monk my, in such a long time. My notes are everywhere. Cheers, uh, y'all, to Monk. Of course, Nick Offerman's been on Monk. He's mm-hmm. the best person alive, mm-hmm. and he's married to beautiful Megan Mullally. Their relationship mm-hmm. is everything. It's relationship goals to me. It's goals. Parks and Rec is mine and my husband's favorite show of all so time. Good. I'll watch it over Friends, over Seinfeld, so over New Girl. That's my shit. We yeah. quote it all the time. And he also hosts a great show called Make It. Yeah. I wish I have it watched. But you yeah, should watch it. It's I'm, fantastic. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. All right. So at the dinner, uh, David decides to seal the deal with Katie that this is going to be his wife. And he proposes on a swing set in the backyard. Cute. Very cute. Again, they're getting high. Yeah, cute. <laughs> Even, I know. Super cute. <laughs> they have a simple courthouse wedding with just David's dad and Katie's mom in attendance. And at lunch afterwards, David's dad hits up Katie's mom for half the bill. Stop <laughs> it. This motherfucker. <gasps> and if that wasn't fucking douchey enough he also tries to convince david that katie isn't happy with the simple life that he's built for them in vermont and that david needs to reconsider coming back and working for the family business so that he can provide katie with a better life in new york and this is when i know Mm -hmm. so for whatever reason that fucking bullshit worked, they sell and they move to New York so David can join the family business. What is Scrooge McDuck? For real. Like him at, all. at this point in the movie, we see more of what that means for David. He is covering those CDS properties, right? Where like massage parlors, um, just dive bars, peep shows. In all fairness, in real life, I don't think this is a thing. Okay. They are like a legit. Like, I think they end up owning 
the freedom towers oh incredible like it is not seedy yeah. so but what they're doing is they're doing all the bookkeeping for these places no the durst organization i think are actual like property gotcha. owners okay so what it like he's going and collecting all the money that's not being accounted for legit i feel like david's like money laundering I mean, they might be money launderers, but from what I could tell, the Durst organization is a legit yeah. real estate, mm-hmm. like powerful family. In the um, 70s, they were almost had a billion dollars. Gotcha. It was like $900 million. Because in the movie, they're paying off like mayors and senators. and Yeah, and I'm sure. I mean, that might have happened in real life, too, mm-hmm. but I just mean it wasn't quite as seedy. Mm-hmm. Like they were a legit, powerful they had legit properties. There goes that page of notes. Hope you didn't need it. For anyone who isn't catching what's happening, I have a my ceiling fan on like high. So if it, so, bees knows this happened last week too. Mm-hmm. Each page just flies out of her lap if she's not holding it down. And it's so funny. I already have a hard enough time focusing on the microphone staring at the I pug. literally was so frustrated sitting in here watching the jeans try and take notes because the fan would blow my notebook page yeah. like, over. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I fucking oh. hate this. But I wouldn't turn it off because no, it's so hot in here. And I'm, all I could think of is how frustrating it was going to be to do this. But here we are <laughs> here doing we are. it. It's happening. It's happening. So the mayor of New York is having David followed because they are are suspicious mm. of his activities. Don't be suspicious. Mm-hmm. Don't. Another Parks and Rec. I'm amazed. Don't be suspicious. Katie wants kids. David doesn't want to expand the family. He kind of makes her feel like he can't have kids. Mm. Right? So she doesn't seem worried about it, like that it could happen. Right? He's like, oh, like, that's not a possibility. In real life, one of the, I think, truthful things that Bob had to say in his interviews was that he didn't want to have, I'm sure he didn't want to have kids for very selfish reasons, but in all fairness to Bob, he straight up admitted, he's like, I always knew I wouldn't be a good dad. Yeah. He's like, I knew I couldn't be a good dad to somebody. I'm like, that is fair because you would not be a good dad. And that's okay. At night, Katie meets David's best friend, Lily. Susan? Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. It comes up that Katie thought David's mom had passed away from, like, natural causes. Because, mm. again, remember, at this point, I don't know how his mom passed away. A violent, a violent death. death. Uh-huh. And so she ends up dropping the bomb about the mom jumping from the roof and that David was there to see the whole thing. So while... Lily, I guess, is telling Katie that at the table, whoever the guy that's with her is at the bar with David, like, so when are you going to let Katie know what a piece of shit you are? Like, like, when does she get to see the real asshole? Yeah. Like this fucking act. How long are you going to keep putting this on? And that's when we get the first taste of like, well, what's really going on here? Uh huh. Where you start like thinking, huh, what's going on with this David? Mm hmm. I guess, according to Lily, once the whole thing happened with his mom, he just acted like he never had a mother. They tried to send him to therapy, but like he just refused to acknowledge that any of it actually happened. Okay. So they're like, well, there's not a whole lot we can do at that point. We see Katie and I are both now like having our suspicions, right? (laughs) You and Katie? Right. Mm. 
it doesn't help that Lily keeps making additional comments like, how long have you known David? How long have you guys actually, like, been together? You don't know him the way that I know him. Mm -hmm. How do you take that as a wife? And like you're saying, she's 17. Like, so Katie is thinking that Lily's just trying to be a bitch. Yeah. And I wouldn't believe her. Yeah, no, I would take it real bad. So that's why it's like... Them's are fighting words. They seem like red flags, but also like exactly like, well, she's just trying to come between me and my man. Yeah, like she's actually saying something truthful and trying to help, but you're not, especially at that age. So that's why like the way that they play it out, the way that it's acted out so well, the way that it's so like subtle and sly. And it's almost because like you can see these two women sitting at a table and like the side eye they're giving each other and Katie just being like, "Mm, okay, Lily, like, why are you telling me this and not letting David tell me this? And it's one of those great things. I mean, when they really do it right, they do it so well. But it's one of those things that only women pick up Mm. on. Like, I feel Mm -hmm. like only female viewers pick up on the nuance. Yeah. Men will just be like, oh, whatever. But like women fucking get it. So that's why I'm like trying to put an an emphasis like on this conversation. Just Mm -hmm. the way that it went down. It's not like. Oh, Lily I, actually got hurt. No, 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 I get it. Yeah. You know what my best example of this is? And like my husband thought this was a hilarious movie, but I said that about the movie um, Bridesmaids. I'm like, Ooh. my husband thought that was a really funny movie and it was a funny movie. But I'm like, there's Until it so wasn't. much female nuance that you didn't get yeah. that like only the women in the audience got why they would be upset about this, that or the other. Yeah. It's so great. I love Mm -hmm. it. Miserable David has convinced himself that this new life that they've built is making Katie happy. So that's all that matters. Keep being miserable. Keep moving along. Keep pace. Because as long as Katie's happy. Right. They have enough money at this point to buy the lake house. Yes. And the neighbors at the lake house are expecting their first child. Oh, and they come over and Katie and the wife are sitting outside and they spark up a conversation and a friendship and Katie confines in her that she is pregnant. Oh, before she's even told David, mm-hmm. she's like, I just found out. I didn't even think we could get pregnant. And now that it's happened, it's like, it's all too much. And the neighbor's like, we just met. Hi. <laughs> right. <laughs> Like, thanks for uh, mm-hmm. dumping all that on me. And then, not to mention, when she does tell David, it does not go well. Yeah. Right. This is not a good conversation. Just the way you want your fucking partner to react. Oh, the worst case scenario. He throws it in her face. I've given you everything. I gave you an apartment in the city. I gave you a lake house, a Mercedes. She's like, I didn't ask you for fucking anything. Right. She's like, I thought we I just didn't loved each want other. Any of this. All I want is this baby and our family. And she promises, like, I will give this child a better life than whatever you had, whatever happened between you and your mom that you won't tell me about. Like, it's different, but no. Instead, he picks up a chair and chucks it at the fucking wall. Oh my God. Trashes the place. And takes off. 
when he finally calms down, he pleads with Katie, like, I'll do anything for you, but I won't be a father. Like, this isn't going to happen. Yeah. So you're going to have to figure this out for yourself. Based on the somber mood of the next scene, we can only assume that they're on their way to the abortion, but of course not without David having to check in with daddy first. Oh, daddy. Mm -hmm. And he gets a call like he has to go pick up fucking cash or whatever. And so he sends Katie to the abortion alone. Perfect. But he's like, don't worry, I'll be there. That doesn't happen. Um, Katie notices that when they get to whatever stop that they get to drop off David at, there's cops at the scene. So it's like whatever seedy business that's been going down. Mm. So he needs to get daddy involved. And his dad's like, well, you need to go to X, Y, Z. He's clearly not going to make it. Yeah. It's obvious she's on her own. So there she is sitting in the waiting room with the parents that are happy. And she's there forced to go through this by herself. And then they go to dinner. Perfect. Because what else do you do? You go to dinner. Keep the perfect image. Happy, happy, happy. And at the dinner where they're sitting in silence, uh, Katie looking dead behind the eyes, some of David's friends come along and they decide that they don't want to wait for their own table because it's too busy in the city. They're going to join them. Perfect. They they roll up. Uh, Lauren is played by Kristen Wiig. Speaking of speaking of bridesmaids, yes. yes, queen. And immediately she reads the room, and she knows something's fucking wrong. Of course, doesn't uh, take much. You just take somebody with uh, just a smidge of empathy. So her and Katie go to the bathroom and lighten up the mood with a little cocaine snow. Uh, you know, snorted off the yes. back of the toilet in the stall. Listen. She's like, you don't want to feel right now. I'll help you not feel right now. Yeah. I got you, girl. She's really earned it. Mm-hmm. And this is the 80s, mm-hmm. baby. Come on. You just went through something horrific. You are by yourself. I'm going to take that pain okay. away. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make sure you're, you're good, baby. The next thing we know, we're no longer at dinner, but again, watching this fucking mysterious car driving to the edge of a bridge Mm. late at night. We see someone emerge from the vehicle wearing kitten heel mules. Oh, God, I hate a kitten heel. Very chic. No, I hate a kitten Before changing into sneakers, but that's just it. Like, if you've got a size 13 Mm. man's foot... Right? right, you're you're gonna end up having to wear these, but I'm not piecing this together at, at right. this point. I'm just like, what is happening? What is right. this fucking car? Why would you ever wear kitten heels when you could wear yeah. any other type of heel? And then changing into these sneakers, right? They grab black garbage bags from the trunk, drag them across the bridge, but we never see what happens. Instead, we go back to David and Katie, now living separate lives. Mm. David's working in the city. And so have you pieced together they're going back and forth? Oh, yeah. In time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Are you okay with this? No. I fucking no. hate it. Yeah, I know. Okay. So I'm getting BTK vibes mm-hmm. because we're doing the whole courthouse thing. I know he's in court and we're recounting 
the but then event. they're also jumping in that timeline back Which and forth. Which does not relate to the story at all. Right. I do not know who this person is. Mm. It's a different place, a different time, a different everything. I'm right. like, what does this have to do with the story? And by splicing it in like this, it's not building anything. Right. It really doesn't matter. So... There you That's go. Clearly Film. one star taken off. Filmmakers, of. mm-hmm. take that into account. No, it's very frustrating. It's like just flashes of images that I don't understand. And then it's like, well, back to your show. It's like a commercial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, okay, whatever that was. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're leaving. They're living separate lives. He's in the city working for daddy. She's living at the lake house going to like a local community college where she finds out she gets accepted into medical school. She's, of course, excited. (laughs) David, not so much. They, he gets the letter before she does. So she doesn't have the chance to tell him that she even applied. Why isn't he happy? Because why would he want her to do anything for herself? Right, they're they're already living separately, and like she's right. going on and living her dreams. So then, and he's, outside of his control, he's working for his dad, not living his dream. Why yeah. should she? Yeah, no. Okay, okay, okay. They try to reconnect. We get a little sexy shower scene with a surprise appearance by Dunst Titties. Oh, I think you're gonna say Ryan's dick. I was like, wow, oh, that's exciting. It's too early. Twenty ten. They're not. They're not doing dick stuff. Maybe what was not. Boogie Nights? Maybe. Because I feel like... Boogie Nights was in the 90s, B. The one with... Um, yes. Mark was, Wahlberg. Okay. Because that was... But that wasn't like real dick. That was the prosthetic. No, that was a prosthetic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like when was Gone Girl? I don't remember. I feel like it was around that time. Check that episode and let me know. Yeah. Drop it in the comments. Got Ben Affleck <laughs> dick and Gone Girl. Yeah. Drop it in the comments. Yeah, we get some titties. But yeah, but Kirsten Dunst has been showing her titties since the 90s. You know, and it's not enough to fix their problems. Let's just okay. say that. <laughs> He's all, bitch, I already saw this in Crazy Love 98. Oh, I need something new. At a party to celebrate her huge fucking accomplishment yeah. of getting into medical school with her family. David can't even be bothered to act proud or excited. Oh, or, God. Or, He's exhausting. I know. I hate him so much. Just he, divorce him. So, Katie, imagine this. Picture the scene. They're on the couch in the living room. Katie's sitting with her mom, her brother, her sister-in-law, and they're all just discussing how excited they are. Mm-hmm. Right? You got married. You have this beautiful life. You have a lake house. You're going to medical school. And David rolls up on her like, we got to go. I hate this guy. And she's like, well, but like, it's my party. Yeah. I can't leave. That would be rude. And the family's like, oh, come on, David. Surely like she could stay. And he's like, I have to work in the morning. Oh. She's like, well, then. You can go. Yeah. And so he throws a fucking fit. This is what I can't deal with. I'll be in the car. Yeah. Waiting. He goes to the car. I w- Listen, you know me. I'll be like, no. have fun in the car. Maybe five minutes before he storms back in and grabs her by the fucking hair. What? And drags and her. And her brother lets him do that? Drags her out the fucking door and throws her ass in the car. And her brother 
lets him they all do they're that? all just sitting there so shocked nope yeah no. nope no. nope no everyone there's a whole party a whole house full of people first of all i come from a family where i have a dad and brothers mm. who would never, never. allow no. that to happen grab her by her fucking hair second of all if i only have one mm. goal as a parent to a son is to raise a man who would never allow that to happen. Yeah. Forget brother, sister. My husband, that could be a complete stranger. You can't see And my that husband happen. would never allow that to fucking happen in his presence. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. Throws her ass in the car. Holy shit. By the hair? Yep, by the hair. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard of that nobody intervened they in get this fake movie. Back to their house, apartment, whatever in the city. She's immediately packing her shit. Like, David, I've never been closer to anyone in my life than I've been in with you, and I don't even know who you are. Like this is this the most scared I've ever been in my life. Like, you're a stranger to me and yeah. I'm married to you. <sighs> we see her have lunch with Lauren. AKA wig and her card gets declined. Yeah, it cut off funds. Mm-hmm. You can't leave, David. Ladies, let this be a lesson to you. Try to have your own income coming in because do not be financially dependent on these motherfuckers. Nope. Have a way out. Make your own motherfucking money. Her leaving David means no access to the trust funds and also means her dream of going to medical school is gone god damn it so she hires an attorney and the attorney makes it very clear that the only way that she's going to get anything from a family like this is to bargain you need to give them something that they're going to want to settle for mm-hmm. or you suck it up like mm-hmm. there that's it that's your only way out so katie goes back to david they try to make it work for the sake of, you know, her working this out. One night, we see a random couple we've never seen before lying in bed, and they're startled. It's like a stormy night by the sound of, like, pounding from outside of their terrace. Mm-hmm. It's fucking Katie. It's like she crawled from her window and, like, walked outside to their window mm-hmm. and, like, was begging them to let her into their apartment because David beat her. It's clear. Like she's got a huge fucking black eye already. Holy shit. Mm -hmm. So the husband does, he goes over and he knocks on the door and he's like, you need to explain yourself. And he's all like, Oh, it's nothing. We, we got into a brief fight and she fell and this and that. And she's just overreacting. And the husband's like, well, I think she should stay with us tonight. And Katie's like, no, I wouldn't want to put you out. Katie. I wouldn't want to inconvenience Babe. You. Mm-hmm. Come on. Mm-hmm. So she goes and we're, we're back. <laughs> the next day, Katie goes to David's office with big ass sunglasses to cover her fucking black eye. Yeah. And she claims to the woman at the front desk that her and David have plans so that she could get into the office to snoop around. Mm -hmm. And she ends up finding like his ledger, like his bookkeeping, everything, like all of his transactions. She does find it. And she would have made it out unnoticed had she not knocked the phone off 
the receiver. It's always something. Mm-hmm. And so suddenly we're back to this fucking bridge. God damn it. Right. And we see bags finally being dumped into the water below. And we also see a hacksaw in the trunk of the car that we still don't know fucking anything about. Right. Are you starting to put it together, though? Are you assuming that this person on the bridge is Ryan Gosling? Yes. But I don't know. I'm assuming like it's Katie. Mm -hmm. But it's not. Mm. All right. So. So Katie sends David's ledger to the senator. The senator declines the package. Mm -hmm. He sees that he's like, I'm not fucking getting involved with this family drama. This family that pays me. Right. I'm not getting my hands dirty. And so it does her absolutely no good and gets her caught. Yeah. So it does worse. Mm-hmm. So dad is clearly pissed, right? Sebastian or whatever the fuck his name is. Samford <laughs> gives it to younger brother, gives the business over to the younger brother. Doug. Doug. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't fucking trust you. You got to get your shit together. Katie's sister-in-law gets pregnant. And Katie shows up to the baby shower. And the sister-in-law's like, oh, I didn't think you could make it. So it's the dinner party. But it's a baby shower. The dinner party where she warns her friend. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? Because she shows up and they're like, oh, we weren't expecting you. And she's fucking wasted. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And she spends the whole night just talking to people about basically like her abusive relationship. Right. Woo, congratulations, by the way, on the baby. Yeah. And hides in the closet talking to Bobber and yeah, the whole thing. Anyways, there's a very relevant line that just really stood out in the movie and stuck with me and I just think like with all the abortion bullshit and this and that that's going on so she's at this party right she's at a baby shower and she's talking to this random person (laughs) she doesn't know and she tells them my father always said to only regret the things you didn't do not the things you did but I had an abortion And I don't know if that's something I did or didn't do. Okay. And I'm just like, that's it. That I can only imagine that that's how so many women feel. That guilt of like never knowing if you made the right choice. Yeah. Never knowing like, was that something I should have done that I was supposed to do? Like, I feel like. choice taken away from you of like you have to do this because we won't allow you to do that right and it's like that's like should i regret this or like i just it really stood out to me i don't know it was just something that i was just like damn i don't know how i would feel yeah you know to be put in a position like that she hides in the closet and she calls david and she's like please let me go i can't do this with you anymore yeah Like, we have to be done. He's like, absolutely not. Come home. I promise I'll make it better. She leaves the party and her brother's like, no, you need to stay. You are too drunk to drive. Like, let us help you. Like, we are here for you. You do not need to go anywhere Mm -hmm. that you don't feel uncomfortable. Please 
don't leave. And she's like, no. And she leaves and she drives to the lake house where the neighbor sees her pull up alone. It's a rainy night. And she sees her walk into the house alone. The house looks completely empty. Mm-hmm. Okay. But when Katie gets inside, David's there waiting for her. Yeah. He's like, where have you been? Blah, blah, blah. She's like, where's the dog? He claims the dog's at a kennel. She's like, we don't put the dog in a kennel. And so, Whatever. The whole thing's fucking on. He's like, let's have dinner. They sit over dinner. Dinner's awkward as fuck. He makes this fucking comment to her. Looks at her and goes... You would have made a great mother after she's been at this fucking baby shower questioning herself to say that to her. So she spits her food out onto the plate. Yeah. And she excuses herself and she clears the kitchen and she takes the garbage out in the rain and she finds a bloody bandana that belonged to the dog. He killed the fucking dog. There's no reason to. Also, what a fucked up thing to say to her. What a the the whole the whole thing. I'm just Ugh. fuming. I'm like, what happened to the guy that was getting high with the husky at the beginning of the movie? He tricked you. Mm-hmm. He tricked you. And that just shows what a good job they did to like really yeah. portray the way that he can manipulate these people. Okay. So, anyways. We see her take out the garbage. She picks up a shovel and she walks back inside the house with the shovel and she confronts him. And then that's it. That's that's the last that we see. There's like a crack of thunder. And we see the neighbor lady wake up mm-hmm. and she like hears her baby crying. So she goes, checks the baby and she's like making herself tea. And she looks out the window and we see her face register. Like something isn't fucking right. Yeah. We don't know what she saw. Mm-hmm. All right. All that we know is David is calling his dad. His dad's at his office in the middle of the night. And Sanford is driving back to his house. Mm -hmm. That's all we know. So inside, Sanford finds a very drunk David holding a picture of his mother. He makes his dad listen as he details the day of his mother committing suicide. He blames his dad. Like, I didn't need to be there. You're the reason I was there. Just Mm -hmm. like you said. There's Mm -hmm. no reason I should have been there. And he's like, when I saw her body in the driveway I thought that she was asleep and I went there and I held her and like like deep into detail about this whole fucking Mm -hmm. experience and according to the dad the dad says that the reason he allowed him to be there was because he used his son hoping that it would convince his wife not to jump that if she could see her child that she wouldn't actually go through with it okay that's again I think for the movie, but still, I'm like, well, I mean. But also, then it's driving home this point to your son of like, and you weren't enough. Yo, so, no. 
I hoped you would be I enough. I used you, and yeah. And then mm-hmm. you weren't enough, and mm-hmm. she didn't care about you enough, so she fucking did it anyways. Right. After all of this, the dad tells David, go home to your wife, and David looks at him and says, she's gone. Mm. I'm just like you now. Back in court, we hear elderly David tell the questioning attorney that that evening he put Katie back on a train to the city and never saw her again. She was, however, seen by the elevator attendant at the at David's apartment in the evening and then again in the morning by the doorman who saw her make a call and then get into the cab. After that, we see everything about Katie going missing. The Marks family offers a $15,000 reward. We skip forward to the year 2000. So it's been 18 years Mm -hmm. at this point since Katie's disappearance. And the investigation is being reopened due to new evidence. David's response is to pack up his shit and flee to Texas, where he now dresses as a woman And he looks similar to the one that was on the bridge that night, right? Mm Mm-hmm. In the apartment building, we meet Melvin. Melvin. Mm Mm-hmm. Played by Philip Barker. Philip Barker Hall. Let's get it clear. Philip Barker Hall. Why do we know Philip Barker Hall? Well, because he was in episode question mark of The Zodiac. Okay. Or maybe from Amneville Horror episode question mark with what's his face? Super hot guy. Ryan Ryan Reynolds. Yep. There we go. The other Ryan. Mm -hmm. But most importantly, as Salvatore in episode, Mr. Monk meets the Godfather. (laughs) I can't handle it. I can't handle this many Monk references in one episode. I love it so much. Oh, my God. So that deserves another cheers. Another cheers. I'm out. I'm actually out. Oh, dang. Cheers. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so proud. Amazing. Mm-hmm. God damn it. All roads lead back to Monk. That's incredible. God. what Did they know that they were making the world's best show while they I, were making it? I don't think they did. All of these great talents. If they just listened to this podcast, they'd know. <laughs> All right, Melvin and David become BFFs. They get high together. They go grocery shopping together. They shoot guns together. They have a lot in common, especially the fact that they're both looking to disappear. Uh huh. Melvin gets evicted, so the two men decide to get a house together. David obviously is going to cover all of the expenses because of his family. And in return, David tells Melvin... He might ask for a favor one day. That day comes soon enough when David's BFF from childhood calls him, hitting him up for money and threatening to blackmail him if he doesn't get back to her. She goes to her home that night where we she like she's like a hoarder, like dilapidated living conditions. Okay. It's not quite that extreme in real life. I know. She assumes that it's David there because she sees the Texas license plate. Mm -hmm. But it's Melvin waiting for her. Oh. Melvin killed her. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Execution style. And Melvin kills her? uh Uh-huh. Whoa. Yeah. 
he goes to a motel to call David and David doesn't answer. And Melvin's like, that's suspicious. Why would they change all this for the movie? I don't know. All right. Yeah. And so Melvin pieces together that David's been using him mm-hmm. all along, mm-hmm. that he never intended to buy the place and that he, when he gets evicted, he's not going to have any place to go and that all he needed was for him to take care of this last job for him, basically. Right. And so he decides to go back and waits for David inside David's apartment. And when David comes home, Melvin tries to shoot him, right? Mm -hmm. You're right. And the old man clearly can't get the shot. And so it's easy for David to avoid being killed. And he ends up bashing Melvin's head in with a phone. Okay. Like aggressively. No, in real life, he just shot him. Mm-hmm. In court, we hear David tell the jury how it was all in self-defense. He decided not to call the cops because who would believe me? Mm-hmm. So, with this, we see David dressed in drag, hacking up poor Melvin's body, putting it in the trash bags, and dumping it into the lake from the bridge. Okay. We see in another flashback that the blonde believed to be Katie entering and exiting David's apartment building was Susan. I know. And I was wondering about that. I didn't say it, but because there's no evidence for it. But I was wondering if maybe that's what they allude to. They in had the, if he had Susan go into yep, the apartment. That building. is definitely what they allude to in the movie. And if we haven't had enough flashbacks at this point. Let's go back to the night when David met his dad at the mansion, Mm -hmm. right? So as David is driving away, supposedly like going home or whatever, for whatever reason, the dad decides to go and look in the trunk of his own car. Okay. And they make it, they uh, they allude again that that's where David dumped Katie's body for his dad's in on it too. To make his dad deal with his own fucking mess. Okay. Mm hmm. So, closing notes read that Texas jury found David not guilty of murdering Melvin, believing in fact that it was self-defense. He was, however, convicted of improper disposal of a body. And then no one was ever charged in the death of Susan. Mm -hmm. And the case of the disappearance of Catherine is still open and David lives in Florida working as a real estate investor. Okay. There we go. And that that whole ending had to be made up because they did it in 2010. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Wow. What a movie. How many knives? Besides the going back and fucking forth so much. And the few weird marks like throwing in Melvin killing yeah, that was such a weird thing to lie about. Yeah. I don't know, right? It's odd. But I think they did a good enough job. The acting was great. It sounds like, yeah, besides some big, they kept it pretty close. Right, it was just like BTK the last time. It's like, even though they really hit the mark with him, like, doing the weird 
choking cross-dressing shit. It's like they they got the point across. You get what's going on. Right. They sold the point and they did it well. I'm going to give it another solid four. All right. Yeah. No, it was a really good movie. Because again, I'm like, oh, I really like David. And then I'm like, David. Yeah. How could you How do that? How could you? I'm How could so you kill upset. the dog? So the dog the was wild. Dog. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As far as I know, Robert Durst did not kill any dogs. Bananas. Just yeah. people. No, so when they went back to check the lake house, they found remains. And they're like, oh, this has got to be it. And it was the dog. Mm-hmm. Not her. Not Katie. Yep. Nope. They still don't know where Kathy mm-hmm. is. All right. Fantastic. I have a couple of follow-ups. Yeah. Follow-ups. I'm going to try to do them off the top of my head. Last week's episode, or last episode... First of all, when I said, when he wrote in the letter, BTK, when he wrote in the letter to the newspaper what BTK stand for, I fucked up and I said, bond. You said bound. Bound, torture, killed. It's bind, torture, kill. Yeah. I fucked that up. Also, when I was talking about how I have a secret suspicion that my father-in-law might be a psychopath. At some point, I said my father's dad. I meant my husband's dad. My bad. I was talking about my father-in-law. More specifically, my husband's stepdad. I care. (coughs) And also, um, one of BTK's first murders, which was the woman who was coming home from college with her brother, I said that he strangled her and he did not. He stabbed her multiple Ooh, times. Wow. So, okay. There you go. There's all my fuck ups from last week, everybody. Get it together. I'm the worst. The worst. All right. How's your look at the week, B? Okay. So I did consider the cross dressing. I was like, what a time to be a, but I also a woman out- dressed as a man dressed <laughs> as a woman. I know. I didn't have the right type of wig to kind of pull off the look that I was going for. So I'm yeah. like, what's the next best thing is to blow up an inflatable doll mm-hmm. and snuggle up in your bed and take a picture. Perfect. Because it recreates the cover of what I believe is the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. And this is an inflatable doll that you got from like a game. It is part of a game. It's like, who's the dude or something? So it's kind of like charades, but you have to use the doll. You have to use the doll to act things out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. And your kid kept pointing out how much more hair it has than my husband. It is true. <laughs> my kid, my four-year-old is obsessed with how bald your husband is. And this guy has lots of hair. He does. He's got chesticles and all that you'll get to see on our Instagrams. Oh, THC podcast on Instagram. And before we close it out, I did bring that weird tequila perfume. I want you to smell yeah, it. Yeah, smell it. I need you to spray it on something. Not on me? No. Why? Because I don't think you're going to want it on you, and I don't want it to mix with your smell. I think you should spray it on something. Okay. So, like, whether it be, like, one of these Barbie things that your daughter so... I mean, I'll spray it on Hank. There you go. I have a stuffed Hank the Septipus. We've talked about him on past episodes. Yeah, from Finding Dory. I'll spray it on Hank. Do you have an eyeglass case? Because I'm telling you, it smells like tequila. It's a weird fucking smell. I don't know how to describe it. I don't mind spraying it on things. I definitely don't like the way it smells on me. Okay. Please pause. I think it smells like bug spray. Interesting. It smells like bug spray. Smell it for real. Take a whiff. 
It's like salt and peppery, though. No, to me, it's like citronella. Really? I'm getting more salt and pepper. To me, it smells like a citronella candle, for it's real. It's a weird smell, isn't it? Yeah, I don't like it. Who would make a perfume smell like that? <laughs> I don't know. And what's it called? It's called something kind of... It doesn't smell like tequila to me at all. Well, see, I'm getting salt and pepper. I'm not getting citronella. Yeah. Okay, what's it called? It's called... Paolo oh boy. Sonio. Uh-huh. Again, by Ellis Brooklyn. But yeah, what the fuck? Like, who smells like that? Yeah, I don't like That's that. That's a weird smell. It does not smell like... I can maybe see a tequila with salt. Kind of... But it doesn't smell like, te- it smells like the tequila spilled on the bar. Well, that's why I was trying to describe it as Mexico. Yeah. But I'm like, it's not like Mexico garbage. It's like Mexico, like salt beach yeah. bar. But I don't want to smell like, whatever that smells It's not like, like Mexico resort. Yeah. Remember, we like resort smell. That is not this smell. This is like you spilled a shot of tequila yeah. on sand. And that's rough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's a fancy ass perfume that somebody wears somewhere. People are wild. Wild. <laughs> Who the fuck smells like this? People are crazy. <sighs> so yeah, we've got our smelling journey. We've got our learning. I, I still have to do. I want to do the by the fireplace mm-hmm. alt. Mm-hmm. I want to get a sample of Rihanna's Fenty. Her actual. Her perfume. actual. Yeah. And like, what's her favorite smell? Like, yeah, yeah, I want to smell her perfume, mm-hmm. and it's expensive AF, but she okay. does sell samples. And I'd like to get a sample of that one I talked about, Funeral Home, because that's yeah. fun. Oh, and a sample, or I'll just buy it. I think they have sample size of Blood and Bone from old that we talked Gods about tonight. Appalachia. Yeah, that we talked about earlier. So, and because I feel like that, and by like we're getting into like fall scents, which are yeah. much more my scents. So, yes, I'm excited to get some smoky. Well, then you do the harder work. You find the Appalachie. It's not hard. I have it saved right now. But oh, yeah. okay. And the, what was one of the other ones? The funeral home. <laughs> yeah. And I'll do the Fenty sample. You want to do Fenty? I'll find it. So it's just straight Fenty. I think you can just buy it on like Fenty.com. Okay. So it's signature Fenty. It's the only perfume she makes. No, she makes a ton. No, she doesn't. Are you sure? So she has perfumes. I think she that has, has like her Rihanna name on it. Okay, yeah, but Fenty like makeup brand like it, the there's Fenty only one. Brand. There's only one okay. Fenty sh- uh, shampoo. Sorry, I'm a hairdresser. There's only one Fenty perfume. Because I know she's got her name tied to a ton no, of smells. This I is went, not Rihanna's I went down that rabbit hole. Disco ball or okay. whatever. This Fenty. is Fenty. Okay. It comes in like a brown amber glass Beautiful. bottle. Yes, I will do that one. Fantastic. Yeah. Stay we'll tuned recon- yeah. for more perfume reviews. We'll whatever you do, don't get whatever B said this one was. It smells San Paliali. <laughs> you could just light an off candle and no. sit next to it. And you don't need any. Uh, in way. my opinion, you don't need any of the Ellis Brooklyn. Oh. None of them have stood out as anything special okay ellis brooklyn Mm -mm. no watch your back hopefully they didn't want to sponsor the podcast to say something nice to to end on a nice note a few of the scents layer well 
Okay. Where they're not pretty on their own, but if you mix them with one of the other ones, yeah, that but you came, shouldn't have to do that's that. That's what I'm fucking saying. I don't you have time have for like, that shit. I have to buy this one and this one, and then okay, great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyways, for pictures from this week's episode, <laughs> go to THC Podcast on Instagram. Check out our TikTok, THC Podcast, and check us out. Come say hi to us. Slide into our DMs. Give us a give us a holla. Rate, review, and subscribe. A five star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we are kicking off spooky season. I have to plan this with me. We might take an extra long week break to make it happen. Okay. But spooky season is happening in October. And I've got some really fun ideas planned. We cannot wait. It's our favorite time of year. Hopefully next time we talk to you guys, it won't be 115 fucking degrees outside covered in smoke. Hopefully we'll have some fall leaves and some fall vibes. And I can't wait to bring that to you. And until then, we will see you next time. Bye. Bye, bitches.